Paul and Titus and the elders and all the believers, and even us who are hearing these things and and being taught these things, uh, we're getting gospel work done, getting after what Jesus commanded and sent us here to do. That's actually the big idea that I want you to get tonight. I want you to see this as we come to the close of the letter, that there's, there's an urgency to keep getting gospel work done here and around the world. There's an urgency to get this job done. Now, I want to talk to you about the fact that uh, whenever you're trying to um, get work done, there are always challenges to the uh, efficiency and effectiveness of getting things accomplished, right? Those of you who uh, suddenly found yourselves working from home this year, you've probably realized that, that it's actually really difficult to make sure that you're accomplishing your tasks and your assignments if, while you're supposed to be working, you're also streaming Netflix or scrolling on uh, Instagram or, 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 or you're pounding donuts and coffee or you're trying to get laundry done or, or you're texting your mom or you're checking your uh, March Madness bracket or whatever the case. But By the way, those of you who also have kids that you're having to deal with, like I'm trying to get work done in the midst of all of this, you kind of realize like if we're actually going to do what we're supposed to do, there's probably some things that we need to avoid, probably some things we need to cut out and also a, a mindset that we need to make sure that we're maintaining uh, if we're really going to get things done. And so as Paul is coming to the end of this letter, he's thinking about how do I, how do I encourage Titus, how do I encourage these, these believers uh, with this assignment that they've got? What's going to help us keep getting gospel work done? So I want to, I want to read, uh, we're really going to start chapter 3, verse 9 is really what we're going to look at, but I want to uh, get a little bit of a running start, something that we looked at last week in verse 8. Okay, So right there in verse 8, Paul says this, the saying, that, that, that gospel saying that we looked at last week, the saying is, trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things, he says, are excellent and profitable for people. But, verse 9, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, I have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Now, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. And do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they lack nothing. And let our, let, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. And all who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Let me give you three essentials to continuing to get gospel work done. Three things got to make sure that we're doing if we're going to get this gospel work done. Here's number one. Avoid foolish arguments. 
Avoid foolish arguments. Look at verse 8 actually points to things that that are profitable. These are the kind of things that we really do want to focus on. He says the the saying is trustworthy. He's referring back to that gospel story that we were looking at last week where, where he's reminding us who we were before Christ, but that's not who we are anymore because of what Christ has accomplished. We're, we're completely different. And he says, I want you to insist on these things, meaning keep going over it and over it and over it and over it. Keep rehearsing the gospel. Why? Why? Well, he says, so that those who have believed will devote themselves to good works. So, so some of the reason that we're getting after and reminding ourselves of the gospel is because the, the grace of God actually compels us to godly living and, and doing good works for God's glory. And he says, these things are excellent and profitable, like more of that. That's going to help, okay? But in contrast to what's profitable in verse 8, he tells us in verse 9 some things that are not profitable, okay? So he says, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. So what's, what's going on here? This, this is probably referring to the false teaching that he'd already called out uh, back in chapter 1. You remember that? In, in chapter 1, he was talking about these false teachers. He actually, uh, in verse 10 of chapter 1, he called them uh, insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. So there were some that, that, that were insisting that, yeah, in order to be a Christian, you really got to be more Jewish. And, and, and Paul doesn't actually give us the specific content of these arguments, but what he does make clear is that what they're arguing about is just stupid stuff, is what he says. It's like they're, they're, they're getting into these nitpicky theological debates on what Christians should and shouldn't do, and, and they're adding to the gospel, and they're actually drawing the conversation away from Christ. And Paul says this stuff is foolish, it's, it's unprofitable, it's worthless. What he's trying to say is, guys, we've got gospel work to do. We don't have time for this. This isn't, this isn't helping. This isn't helping move the ball down the field. This is worthless or pointless. Why, why, why would we do this? Now, he's not saying that there's never a time or place uh, for some theological debate. In fact, I I think it's actually important uh, for us to to, to learn to think well uh, about what the Scripture teaches. But we do need to learn how to discern what what are primary gospel issues. And we've already been instructed in this letter to make sure that we're rebuking false teaching. We saw that in chapter 1. So... Here's, when we see unhealthy, and, and he uses the word foolish, it means stupid. Um, when we see this kind of false teaching going on, it's not that we just go, eh. Eh, we just let it go and we don't do anything about it. There's actually something we're supposed to do. Look at, look at verse 9. It says we're to avoid this. Avoid this means that the, the word there has this idea of actually walking around something. So, so our family loves to take walks together. We like to go on walks and, and walk and talk and laugh and hold hands and just be together as a family. It's always fun. But inevitably, whenever we go on a family walk, there, there's this one point where, where, where whoever's like out in front and is leading the way has to stop and yell out a warning to everybody that's coming behind. You know what it is? Dog poop. 
probably going to get emails about this illustration. But, uh, like, don't you love it when your neighbors just leave little, like, bombs for you to step in, right? Like, so, so, so somebody, uh, we've kind of trained our kids well in this, that if you see this, you got to stop and point it out. Make sure everybody sees it so that we can avoid, we can walk around it. Please do not step in this. I would so love for you to not get this on your shoes and start tracking it in the house, right? I think that's what Paul's trying to say here is avoid, don't step in that crap. They want to draw you into wasting your time in these foolish arguments and ideas and debates that are not centered on Christ. That's not what we're here for. It's the kind of people that, that, are, that, that are trying to question the Bible and, and deconstruct Christianity. Like, I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe we should rethink what Jesus said. No, th- this is the doctrine of Christ, and we're not going to let you come in and say that the church has been missing it for 2,000 years, but you're the first person to come along who's enlightened enough to really understand what Jesus actually meant. No, nah, man, that's, that's not what we're doing here. He says, avoid it. Call it out. Dismiss it. We're not wasting time on this. In fact, chapter 1, verse 11, he said, they must be silenced, meaning we're not going to give them a platform. We're not going to give them a voice to let this become a debate in the church. The, the idea of, of avoiding could also mean to, like, to, to, like, turn your back on something. So, so when you see this, you're able to just call it out. Like, nope, that's not the gospel. And we turn around, and we keep getting after what Christ has called us to. So we're learning to avoid foolish arguments. Let me give you the second essential to continuing to get gospel work done is this. Not only do we avoid foolish arguments, but we discipline divisive people. Verse 10, he says, as for a person who stirs up division, so he's, he's actually shifting from arguments to dealing with a person who just wants to love and, and, and loves to argue. And, and contextually, I, I think he's probably emphasizing the kind of people that are trying to divide the church by spreading false teaching and, and what he called foolish controversies. But I'm not sure that it's only applied to those that are spreading false teaching. Because there's a major emphasis in Paul's uh, teaching. As we see this in the New Testament, he, he says elsewhere to, to, to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now think about this. As believers, we need to care way more about being peacemakers than about being right. And, and there's nothing inherently wrong with, with learning to, to, to think logically and to think critically and, and even uh, being wired to courageously defend the truth and, and challenge wrong thinking. Sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes that is right. But there's a big difference between standing on and standing for the truth and someone who just has an inclination to constantly challenge and debate and argue and divide. You know what I'm talking about? There are some people that just get their kicks from proving people wrong and picking fights. But it doesn't always have to be somebody who's loud and brash. Because that's like, when we, we, we think about somebody who's like being divisive, we normally think about somebody who's just kind of like in your face about it and, 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 and you know, almost like, like dude, I didn't, I'm not trying to fight you, man. Like that. I, I, we we kind of think about some personality there. But sometimes it can be a little bit more subtle than that. We've got to make sure that we recognize we don't need factions forming in the church. We're, 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 we're starting to group up 
with, with certain people and we're dividing over preferences and, 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 and what some, some thing is appropriate and some people don't think this is appropriate and we're courage, encouraging others to be critical of others and, 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 and just having this contentious spirit. What Paul is saying is, guys, we have, there, there's this urgency to keep getting gospel work done. So we can't get sidetracked, we can't get hijacked by these foolish arguments and we certainly can't afford to have people trying to stir up division because if we're going to get this gospel work done, then we've got to do this together. We've got to work together on these things. So, so what do we do? We, we can't have somebody who's stirring up division in the church. What, 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 what do you do with somebody who, who's causing problems and causing splits in the church? Well, here's what he says. After warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Do you notice the patience involved there? Think, think, think about, like, this, this is not just, like, kick the guy out of the church right away. Like, you're starting to fight. Like, you're gone. Like, party foul. Get him out of here. Like, that's, that's not, that's not the, the attitude that we have towards him. There, there's, there's a warning. Just think about it. A warning implies that you have to give them time to see if they're going to respond, if they're going to listen there. And, and then, if he's, if he's not listening, you warn him again. Which means you got to give him even more time to see if he's listening and responding. And if he still is not listening to respond, then Paul's saying, stay clear. But I want you to just notice the patience that's there. And I think that there's patience because we're dealing with people. And we're striving to live at peace in loving community. So this, this verse that we get here in, in Titus chapter 3, I think it's, it seems to be a condensed summation of Jesus' instruction on church discipline. When we normally think about that, we go to Matthew chapter 18. Remember that text where Jesus said, listen, if your brother sins against you, go to him. You're trying to win your brother over. We're trying to get some reconciliation here. And if he doesn't listen to you, Jesus said... Take one or two others with you. So we've got some other witnesses. We're bringing this to bear. Like, hey, bro, you've got some, got some sin in your life. And, and, and we're not just trying to confront you because we hate you. Or we don't like you. We, we, we want to see you really grow in this. We want you to respond and understand the word of God. And if he refuses to listen to them, then Jesus says, tell it to the church. And we're coming after you because we love you. And if he still refuses to listen even to the church, Jesus says, then you treat him as a Gentile or a tax collector. Meaning, Apparently, you, you, you must not be a believer if, if you don't really want to listen to the word of God and, and you don't want to, to follow in repentance after Christ, you must not love Christ. So we would treat them as someone who's an unbeliever. By the way, if someone's in an unbeliever, are unbelievers welcome in our church? Yeah, always. But there's a call to repentance. There's a call to push into Christ. But, but church discipline, I want to just really make this clear. Church discipline only happens for unrepentant sin. When someone's just refusing to listen to God's word and follow Christ. They say they're a believer, but then they don't want to follow Jesus. And the goal of church discipline is always restoration. In fact, the minute that there, there, there's even like, like a, 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 a minor little demonstration of repentance, the whole process of discipline stops and restoration begins. 
And so we do this in love because we care. And we're throwing out every single lifeline we can because we're hoping that the consequences and the destruction of sin can be avoided and that the beauty of forgiveness and healing can flourish. That's our goal. And I got to tell you, like, we never, ever relish having to walk down this road and to discipline and re- remove someone from the fellowship of our church because they just refuse to follow Christ. But, but there is a necessity to protecting the purity of the church. And Paul is saying we can't have a divisive person who's just wreaking havoc. And, and, and literally destroying the church. At chapter 1, verse 11, he says they're, they're upsetting whole families. You've got to remember that the lives of the people in our church family that we love are at stake. At stake. We care about these things. When you think about it then, discipline is actually part of getting gospel work done. Because, yes, you're warning, but it's also an invitation Every time there's a, there's a warning for someone who calls himself a brother or sister in Christ, it's, it's an invitation for that divisive person to experience themselves the power of the cross, to break down the dividing wall of hostility so that they can experience peace with God and with one another. It's an invitation. And we want you to experience the power of the gospel here. But if necessary, it also charges us to experience exclude the divisive person, which he says, verse 11, knowing that, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, they are self-condemned. They're, they're making it obvious by their, by their actions, by their choices. They're not, not one of us. They don't want to follow Christ. They don't want to get after this. And I think what Paul, Paul's trying to help us understand is like we're protecting the church, and we got to continue to get after the gospel work that Jesus has called us to. And we do that by working together and fixing our eyes on Christ. Which is actually what you see happening here in these final verses. This is so interesting. Here, here we come to the, the end of the letter now. And, and oftentimes what happens when we get into some of these the letters in the New Testament, you, you get to the end of the letter and there's a whole bunch of names that you can't really pronounce. And so you just end up kind of skimming over this in your Bible reading. Come on, admit it. How many, how many, I, I see some of like kind of shaking their hands. Like we, we get it. So this is like when you're, you got a book assignment in, in high school or in college, and, and you were supposed to read this book. And of course, you, sure, I'll read the chapters. But if there's an appendix, how many of you are skipping that appendix? And I'm like, I read the book. Like, don't need to read that. Right? Can I just encourage us? Let's not skip over the greetings that we see here in the end. I, I know it might seem weird because maybe we don't really know these people all that well. But honestly, this little section, this is very interesting. It gives us some really cool insights to what's happening in that moment in history. Because don't forget, this is happening in real places with real people in real time. It's really like giving us a window that we can see into how the early church was functioning. And I think this gives us the third essential to continuing to get gospel work done here. If you're taking notes, note this. Keep a kingdom mindset. Keep a kingdom mindset. Let me show that to you. Verse 12. Verse 12, here's what he says. When I send Artemis or Tychicus, I'm just going to call that Artie and Ty. Okay, like that's difficult enough for me to pronounce. We're just going to say Artie and Ty from now on. So here's what Paul's saying. I'm going to send one of these guys to you. Not sure which one's coming. I'm not sure if it's going to be Artie. Not sure if it's going to be Ty. But once they arrive on the island of Crete, notice this. What is Titus supposed to do? 
When they show up, what's he supposed to do? Is he, is he supposed to uh, show them around and, and do some sightseeing, like take them down to the beach and show them where to get the best tacos? Because this is how we roll. When people come to visit us in the D.C. area, we show them around town, right? Like, is that, is that, is that what he's supposed to do when they arrive? No, look, look, look at the test. When, when I send Artemis or, or Tychicus, when they, when they arrive, here's what he says, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. Can we get the map up? Can we do this? This is so cool. I, I really wanted to do this because I got an awesome brand new uh, laser pointer. So this is so powerful. Okay, so here we are on the island of Crete. And, and Paul uh, sent Titus down here. And he's apparently sending a couple of guys down to meet Titus on the island. And as soon as one of them arrives, Titus is supposed to go up here to Nicopolis and join Paul back on the mainland. So what this means, think about this for a minute. Apparently, either Artie or Ty, we're not sure which, one of those guys is coming not just to enjoy uh, uh, some sunshine and island life. He's actually coming to take over the work that Titus had been assigned on the island of Crete so that Titus can tag out. And then he is then going to get reassigned in the ministry. Those of you who are in the military, have ever been in the military, you're like, yeah, we know how this goes, right? So, so there's, there's actually another job. He's like, wait, 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 I got, I got one more thing for you to do. Verse 13. Also, do your best to speed Zenus and Apollos on their way and see that they lack nothing. So they've got these believers that are coming and going on the island, and the churches are actually called to support this mission work so that they can keep accomplishing the great commission of making disciples of all nations. This is, this is actually an, an opportunity. I think this is why he reminds them, verse 14, Devote themselves to, to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Part of the way that they're going to do good works, and, and this is an urgent need, like make sure these guys, they're, they're like going out on mission. Make sure they got what they need. Man, we want to move the ball down the field. We want to advance, and that's why we're doing good so that we get gospel work done. All of these believers here are living sent, and the church gets to be a part of that. That's, this is what we do. Now, now let me... I want to I make a, an observation and maybe an insight that might be hiding in plain sight here right at the end of this book, and it's this. The kingdom of God is bigger than just a local church. Now, this, this actually should be pretty obvious because this letter is not written to just one particular church. This letter is written to uh, Titus, this, this young man who is charged with helping to oversee and to put into order a network of, of church plants on the island of Crete. And Paul had sent him here with, with this task and this assignment, but, but it seems apparent that this particular assignment that Titus had would eventually be finished or that, that the work that still needed to be done would be handed off because God would send others to continue getting the gospel work done there and sometimes God reassigns his servants to make sure that more work is also getting done elsewhere. So it's important for us to, to keep a kingdom mindset so, so that we remember that, that what God is trying to do in the world, in and through pastors and church planters and missionaries and local churches and all the believers there, it's way bigger than just one local community. Which is why our big idea tonight is that there's this urgency to keep getting gospel work done here and around the world. Like, like man, we want to reach Northern Virginia. We want to reach Fairfax, but our sights are much bigger than that. In fact, this is part of our mission, is it not? That we want to glorify God by making disciples. 
But it's not just making disciples in general. We want to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. That's the goal. That's what we have our sights on because that's what Jesus has called us to. And man, we want to make a dent in that. We want to get after that. But as you, as, as the minute you start to think about it, you start realizing, oh, what time out. Like Fairfax Bible Church, like, like we're not going to be able to accomplish that all by our lonesome. Which is why it's so important for us to, to be committed to partnering with other believers and other gospel-preaching churches to see God's kingdom advance. And, and here's what happens. If we don't keep a kingdom mindset about what God is doing and the way that he uses his servants and the way that he uses churches and, and, and the way that we're meant to partner together to advance the gospel. If we, if we don't keep that in mind, churches are going to miss out on getting gospel work done. Because it's way too easy to, to get stingy and suspicious of what other ministries are doing. And, 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 and to get territorial and, and independent and self-focused and, and selfish with what we have and what we're trying to do. Like, yes, we want Christ to build his church here at Fairfax Bible Church, but it's not about building our brand. It is about promoting and exalting Jesus Christ and seeing lost sinners saved and disciples and churches multiplied here and around the world. And if we have that biblical vision, it's embracing a kingdom mindset that will necessarily lead us to not just care about building our thing, but, but, to, be, but to be open-handed with our resources and our people and our, and our leaders and to be supportive and to be compassionate and to be generous where we'll open up our wallets and we'll send money and, and, and we'll get on planes and we'll go. We'll, we'll get on those trips and we will, we will pray for brothers and sisters in ministries that are doing things that, that, that are not our ministry and we'll celebrate opportunities to send seeking to bless others and partner to get more gospel work done which is part of the reason i am so thankful for the opportunity that we've had to to partner with our sister churches in the great commission collective because this is a reminder like we're not alone in this we're not alone the kingdom of god is so much bigger than just us don't, don't you love the relationships that have been formed globally that you're seeing right here at the end of a letter like this where he says in verse 15 all who are with me send greetings to you and greet those who love us in the faith there's something really sweet about knowing that we have loving family all over the world in Christ and I had an opportunity this week to and kind of enjoy some of that long distance connections that we have to see what God is doing globally and even regionally. I got the text with Pastor Hang. Anybody want some good news? Looks like they sold their house. So praise God. They're finalizing all those details. And, and listen, I was, I was texting with him. Uh, yesterday, and, 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 it, and it looks like, obviously, we're, it's going to be a big transition, okay? We're not sure exactly when they're really going to be able to get up here, and, and as much as I want them here like tomorrow, like we really want to do what's best for their family, and we want them to be able to transition well and get established in the community and get established in our, in our church family, but, but, but he, just, he just texted me even today, just send the church our greetings. We love them. Thank you for praying. Thank you for praying. Isn't that cool? 
On Friday, I got to sit down at IHOP with Pastor Dan Hammer at Harvest Annapolis, an hour away. And that is so life-giving for me. We do that every once in a while. I just need the, need the time to just be able to share what's God doing in your church and, 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 and showing, uh, showing off God's work, being able to encourage one another uh, with that. But it's not just GCC. In fact, yesterday I was able to, uh, I was texting with, uh, maybe some of you might know, Pastor Kenji Adachi at All People's Community Church. They're, they're actually in the same boat as us, okay? Like they're, they, they were meeting in a middle school here in Fairfax and lost their facility, and now they're trying to share a building with another church and keep preaching the gospel. And just so thankful that we're not alone. We're doing this together. We partner with like-minded believers. We're so thankful for the opportunity to recognize that God's doing something big here. Here, here's what this means. I think there's, there's some real encouragement for us because it proves to us that we can trust the Lord. Because we're not building Jesus' church. Jesus is building his church. And God, his kingdom will last forever. But he invites you and I to be a part of that right now. And I just got to ask you, what else would you want to spend your life for? You get the privilege of living for the glory of Christ and the advancement of his kingdom, not just here, but around the world. God, would you do that in us? We love being a part of your church. We're so thankful for this family. We love the, the people that are here and the work that you are doing to make us more like yourself. We're thankful that you care about each and every single one of us. You understand our weaknesses and the, and the, the frustrations and all that we've got going on, all the, all the details that we're going to have to deal with this week on our, on our schedule, on our to-do list, the things that are, that are taking up time in our minds and on our hearts. Lord, you, you care about all of those things, and yet your kingdom is so much bigger than just my life, my world, this church. Lord, you are advancing your kingdom around the world that the nations may be glad in Jesus Christ. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of this. God, may we trust you that you are building your church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You are an awesome God and we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.